that living word that we're going to be turning to at this point. Let me encourage you to open your Bible with me to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1. 2 Peter 1, verses 16 through 21 will be our text this morning. Over the last few years, there's been something that's come about in the world of Christian literature that we might refer to as the heaven is for real phenomenon. Uh, It seems that there's been a wealth of books that have been written lately by individuals claiming to have died and, and have gone to heaven and have come back to tell what heaven is really like. Whether or not these individuals have done that or not, several have come out recently and admitted that their writings were in fact a hoax. Scripture refers to the fact that Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 was caught up into heaven. Uh, we read in Revelation 4 that John the Apostle was, was told to come up here and I will show you the things which are, and the things which were, and the things will, which will be. But those were apostles inspired by God to write Scripture. Whether or not these other individuals have done so or not, I don't know. But one thing that is truly troubling to me about this phenomenon is somehow the idea that experience is more credible than the Bible. For example, you tell somebody, heaven is for real. Well, how do you know that? Well, the Bible tells me. Yeah, I know, but, well, heaven is for real. Well, how do you know? This little boy told me. Oh, the little boy. The little boy went to heaven. Okay, now I believe heaven is for real. As if somehow the Bible is not enough. And that's what's troubling to me about this phenomenon as of late. We are involved right now in a sermon series about the doctrine of Scripture that we have entitled, Thus Saith the Lord. It's the idea that our convictions about the Bible are extremely crucial. Our salvation is at stake. And we have, in essence, trusted our eternal destiny into the words of this book. So the question that we might ask is, is the Bible trustworthy? And I'm here to tell you this morning, entrust your life and your eternal destiny to the faithfulness of God's Holy Scripture. Entrust your life and your eternal destiny to the faithfulness of God's inspired scriptures. I want to invite you, if you're able to this morning, please stand with me in reverence for the reading of this living and holy word. I'll be reading from 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 16. The Apostle Peter writes these following words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Let's pray together. Father, we have gathered this morning into this room with the conviction that this book is indeed your word. And if so, God, it bears your power, your authority, 
your trustworthiness. Well, Holy Spirit, you inspired these words to Peter so many years ago, but these words are in fact living and active. We pray, Holy Spirit, you as the author of these words would illuminate our minds to understand today and illuminate our hearts that we might embrace the truth that we find therein. Let this truth lead us and guide us to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It is in His name we do pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we come to the book of Second Peter, this indeed is Peter's last letter we have in Scripture, written before he was martyred for his faith. As he was writing this letter, he was preparing his audience for his departure. He believed that his time on earth was coming to a close. We read in verses 12 through 15, he says, Therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things. What things? The things of, of holiness, the things of, of the coming judgment and the importance for us as Christians to live a holy lifestyle until that day. He said, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present within you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind. You see, Peter was preparing his audience for his departure. And it was not uncommon to see that in Scripture. We see Moses doing that in the Old Testament before he died. Joshua, the same thing. We read the Apostle Paul doing that in the book of Second Timothy. And in fact, Jesus did the very same thing in the Gospels right before he was arrested, tried, and crucified. So here we have Peter preparing his audience for his departure. One particular thing that was worrying Peter was this threat of false teaching. Apparently there were some false teachers that had come into the church after Peter was there and were beginning to teach things they should not. One of those things, probably from the theme and the tone of this letter, is perhaps they were teaching that the second coming of Jesus Christ was not a reality. And anytime you go messing with belief, you inevitably affect behavior. And if the second coming and the judgment were not a real event to look forward to, then it really doesn't matter the way you live your life now. And that was troubling to Peter because Peter said, no, it does matter. Because God demands holiness from his people. And so Peter was writing, worrying about that. He was encouraging Christian growth and Christian faithfulness until the return of Christ. And the primary way that, that Peter was driving that theme home to his audience was by the form of witness. Peter's witness and the witness of Scripture. Peter pointed to the Word for the importance of driving the church to holiness. So the first thing we might ask is, well, what makes Peter a credible messenger? And inevitably that was... One of the things the false teachers were saying, well, it gives Peter the right to tell you this is true or not. Well, first of all, you can trust the Lord's witness. The Lord's witness. Peter was there. Peter experienced these things. He saw these things. And so he is a credible witness. First of all, Peter followed the truth. Verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales. Get the word myth out of that word tales there. Peter said, we weren't following cleverly devised, in other words, intentionally false 
teachings and doctrines. Peter says, no, we're following the truth. And so Peter was bringing the truth to that church there. It was not a myth or not something that was a fable. Peter was, was teaching Christian doctrine that was anchored in historical realities. Peter says, this is not a myth we're preaching, but Jesus really lived. Jesus really ministered. Jesus really healed the sick and raised the dead. Jesus really went to the cross and was crucified, and three days later he was raised. Peter says, we are teaching these truths. We are following the truth, and not something that's been made up over time. In essence, God has intervened already in the coming of Christ, in the ministry of Christ. So what makes you think God will not intervene again? when Christ returns. Peter followed the truth. Peter preached the truth. He says, We did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you. We made known, we revealed, we, we opened up this truth to you, we spoke this truth to you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter made known, he says, We as the apostles, we, we made this truth known to you. We didn't keep this to ourselves. But we spoke about the, the truth of Jesus Christ. As he says, we are heralds for Jesus. We are spokesmen for Jesus. We are messengers of the King. And what he has said to, to say, that we say. He says, we are heralds of the King. We spoke of his power and his coming, the reality of the second coming of Christ. Peter said, we weren't following fables and myths about this, but we we made known to you the truth of the coming and the power of the Lord Jesus, that He is coming. And when He comes, there will be judgment for those who have denied Him. There will be salvation for those who have believed and surrendered and, and trusted Him. There will be salvation on that day, yes, but there will also be judgment to those who have rejected Him. So what that means for us is we need to make sure we are on the right side of that judgment on the right side of that day. That means we need to accept the truth of what the Bible says, that we are all sinners, we fall short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death. We acknowledge we are in a hopeless situation, a helpless situation, but the truth of God is this, that God loves us. And He demonstrated that love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so because we understand that judgment is coming, we entrust ourselves to Christ, His work on the cross, His resurrection on our behalf. We cannot save ourselves, but we entrust ourselves to the One who can and does save us. Because we know judgment is coming, Peter preached that truth, and so too must we. Peter saw the truth. What, what gave Peter the right to preach these things? Peter saw the truth. He says in verse 16, he says, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter says, we saw this. This isn't something that was made up and given to us and we passed it along. We were there. We saw it with, my own, with our own eyes. Peter here begins to explain an event that we refer to as the transfiguration of Jesus. We see that in the gospel stories. Peter and James and John were taken up by Jesus on this high mountain. And, and while they were there, Peter saw with his own eyes Jesus transfigured before him. His garments became shining white and the glory, the true glory of Jesus and his true nature was revealed there on that mountain. And they heard the voice of God speaking as we see in verse 17. Peter saw this. Peter, James, and John glimpsed the true nature of Jesus. Peter was an eyewitness. He saw the truth. Peter 
heard the truth. He heard the truth. As he saw the majesty of Christ on display, he heard this truth. Also in verse 17, he says, For when he received honor and glory from the Father. So, in essence, the true nature of Christ was revealed. God sharing the Father, sharing his glory with the Son, the divinity of Christ. Peter said, we saw that. And he says, also such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. They heard the voice of the Father speak, saying, This, Jesus, is my beloved Son. No one else is like him. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. He was authenticating the person and the message and the ministry of Jesus. The Father was saying, I'm well pleased with this man standing before you. He is my Son. And in the Gospels, we see the message saying, listen to him. What he says, you listen and you do it. The voice from heaven was authenticating who Jesus was. And Peter says, we saw it and we heard it. We were there. In verse 18, and we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven. We were witnesses. We saw it. We heard it. In other words, what Peter was saying here is we are preaching the coming of Jesus Christ. We saw a glimpse on that mountain of his true glory, that glory will be revealed when Christ comes back. We saw for just a a brief moment what everyone will see permanently when Jesus comes back. Peter says we saw the truth, we heard the truth, Christ is glorious and powerful. The Father authenticated that. And when Jesus returns, you had best be prepared. Because judgment is coming. Christ is coming. That's not a cleverly devised fable or a myth. He says it's historical reality. We saw this. We heard this. Peter heard the truth. Peter experienced the truth. Verse 18 goes on to say, We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven. In other words, Peter's saying, we ourselves, the the apostles, we heard it. These false teachers, they weren't there. But we experienced this. He says, we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. We, the apostles, were with him. In Mark 3.14, when Jesus called the disciples, it says he appointed twelve so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach. What gave Peter the right to preach these things is because he was with Jesus. Jesus had called him to himself so that Peter and the the apostles would experience the truth that would make them viable, credible witnesses of these things. Made them experts in Christ. You see, Christianity rises and falls upon historical facts. Jesus lived in the public eye. Jesus taught in public. He healed in public. He performed miracles in public. He was tried in public. He he died on the cross in public. He rose from the grave and appeared before 500 people at one time. He appeared for 40 days publicly. You see, Peter experienced that truth. Therefore, he was a credible witness. What he said needed to be trusted. 
yesterday I was talking with David Ingram about an event he witnessed this, uh, here a while back and said there was a, a flood and, and he saw a, a home, a double wide, just floating around, along the water, completely intact. It was just floating on top of the water. But eventually, you know, it was struck and smashed to pieces. The reason why it was floating there on the water is because it came off of its foundation. And while it remained temporarily, eventually it was destroyed because it was not attached to the foundation. We as the church, we have a foundation. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The early church in Acts 2.42 says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. You see, what made the apostles the foundation? What made their witness credible? They were with Jesus through his entire ministry. They saw these things. They heard these things. They experienced these things. And in the court of law, that makes you a credible witness, does it not? So Peter says, as we are preaching the truth about the second coming of Christ and the need for readiness and the need for holiness and the need for faith, we are credible, we are viable. We need to also trust the Lord's witness through the form of the Apostles' Doctrine. Verses 10 and 11 of chapter 1 here, Peter says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, holiness, as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. This is heaven and hell. This is eternal destinations. Eternity is in the balance. And we have a credible witness through the apostles that we must trust in. Trust the Lord's witness, but also trust the Lord's word. The Lord's word. The verbal witness of the apostles and the prophets, they have been recorded for us in Scripture, in the Bible. Everything that God wants us to know, everything we need to know, recorded for us in this written word. You see, when lawyers build cases, they do so upon eyewitness testimony and upon documents. And Peter tells us, we've got both. We've got eyewitness accounts through Peter and the apostles, and we also have documents recorded for us in Scripture. Peter begins talking about the Scripture by referring to the integrity of the Bible. Integrity, it is trustworthy. He says in verse 19, So we have the prophetic word made more sure. We, the apostles, he says, we have it because we were there, we saw it, we experienced it. We have the prophetic word made more sure. The word prophetic there means speaking on behalf of God. Prophecy, we think sometimes it means predicting the future. And there is an element of that in biblical prophecy. But mainly, prophecy is speaking on behalf of God, receiving a message from God and making that message known. Peter says, we, we have that made more sure. He says, we had the, the, the eyewitness accounts, but don't just take our word for it. Take God's word for the truth of what we are saying. God's word 
is what we need to rely on. It is made more sure. The prophetic word in the Old Testament, the prophets spoke about the coming of the day of the Lord, that coming day of judgment upon God's enemies and salvation for God's people. Peter says the prophetic word, we have that, that prophetic word made more sure the integrity of what is written. We also have the infallibility of the Bible in verse 19. Because Peter goes on to say, we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention. You would do well to pay attention. He says, we have the word, the apostles and the prophets, and you, church, would do well to pay attention to these things. These are important things. These are vital things. These are eternal things. You would do well to pay attention to it. Why? Because Scripture will never steer you wrong. It is a reliable guide as we are seeking to find our way and follow the true path. Scripture will never lead you astray. That's why we call it infallible. It's trustworthy. He says you would do well to follow and to pay attention to these things. And he goes on to say it's as if, as if it is a light in the darkness. He says pay attention to it as a lamp shining in the dark place. The other day we were asking Jaden what he learned in Sunday school. And he said uh, we learned about a boy walking in the darkness carrying a lamb. And we were like, a lamb? Don't you mean a lamp? You know, that makes sense, carrying a, a lamp in the darkness so you can see. He says, no, a lamb. And we were like, you mean like a sheep? He said, yeah, like a sheep, a lamb. And we said, okay, you learned that there was a boy walking in the darkness carrying a lamb? And I was thinking, what in the world are they teaching in that Sunday school class? You know, and there's no idea where he got that from or where he latched onto that. Who knows? You know, the mind of a four-year-old. But here Peter's not saying we have a lamb shining in the darkness. We, we have a lamp. We have a, a, a lamp that's going to light the way for us until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Until Christ returns, we've got an infallible guide, a trustworthy guide. And Peter says, you would do well to heed these words, obey these words. It's going to lead you on the right path. And in the song we just sang a while ago in Psalm 119.105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see, Peter's confidence in the written word. It's hard to be more confident in the Bible than Peter is in this statement. You would do well to follow the prophetic word. Until that day comes, trust in the word of God. It's infallible. Then in verse 20, he talks about the interpretation of the Bible. Verse 20, he says, But know this first of all, as we think about the prophetic word and what the word of God means, he says, Know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, the word Scripture means writings. So Peter's not just talking about his verbal message and what he says. Now he's talking about what the word of God says that is written down and recorded for us, the inscripturated word of God. He says, No prophecy of scripture that we have written for us in the Bible is a matter of one's own interpretation. In other words, the Bible doesn't mean what you want it to mean. You see that a lot. People taking the word of God and twisting it to teach something it never intended to teach. Somebody one time told me, you know, the Bible the Bible accepts homosexuality and I'm like, oh, how do you say that? And he says, well, 
in that scripture when it says when, when, when Jesus returns, it says there'll be two men lying in a bed together and one will be taken and one will be left. How does that mean they're gay? You know, just because there's two men in a bed, maybe they're brothers, maybe they're family members, or they're just good buddies laying there. You know, people taking the Bible, making it say something it never intended to say. Just because some, that's somebody's interpretation doesn't make it right. It's not a matter of one's own interpretation. It means what the author intended for it to mean. Authorial intent, we've talked about that. You're not at liberty to make up what you think the Bible means. You hear that in classes sometimes. Well, what does this mean to you? Well, this means to me this. And the other person, well, it means to me this. And say, like, okay, you're both right. No, you're not. It means what the author intended it to mean. You know, if I'm in the living room, my wife says, come in here and help me with the dishes, and I say, well, I interpret that to mean lay on the couch and watch sports. <laughs> I'm not at liberty to interpret what she meant in saying. She knows what she meant. And it meant entirely something different than what I interpreted it to mean. But the person who speaks or the person who writes, that's the one we go to to interpret well, what does this mean so authorial intent of scripture we need to be diligent to study the context of the, of the letter we, we study the history who's writing who are they writing to what are they writing about we study the history we study the grammar we look at paragraphs and sentences and individual words because words matter we need to understand from what is written what the author intended and Peter's saying here, we need to do our due diligence. It's vitally important, especially for preaching and teaching. Because if somebody's going to stand up and say, open your Bibles, thus saith the Lord, this is what God says, this is what God means, and you're wrong, you are a false prophet. Whether or not what you're saying is true or not, it's dependent on the context of what the author intends for it to mean. You're not at liberty to make it up and find a, a pretext. Well, I've got this idea. I'm going to find something in the Bible that kind of matches that and make it mean this. No. You let the Bible speak for itself. and You let the author reveal to us the intended meaning interpretation of the Bible. Why is that important? Because we see in verse 21 the inspiration of the Bible. The inspiration. A high view of Scripture. In other words, you believe that the Bible is God's Word. It's true. It's trustworthy. It's, it's God speaking to us. If that's your conviction, if that's your theology, then the way you handle it and the way you interpret it is dramatically impacted. If you think this is sometimes true, sometimes not, that affects the way you handle it, does it not? How you teach it, what you believe. But if you have a high view of Scripture and you believe this whole thing is God, all Scriptures God breathed, as Paul says, either Paul's lying or that's true. If you believe what Paul said was true, then that's a high view of Scripture and it dramatically impacts the way you interpret Scripture. Verse 21, Peter says, the reason why interpretation is not a matter of one's own interpretation, for, because, no prophecy, no one speaking on behalf of God, was ever made by an act of human will. Nobody ever sat down and said, well, this is God speaking and wrote something down. That's not Scripture. That's not prophecy. 
But true prophecy, Peter says, was men moved by the Holy Spirit speaking from God. So what we see in this inspiration of the Bible is two things. First of all, human agents. We don't have a, a Bible all of a sudden just popping up somewhere out in the forest somewhere and, and nobody wrote it. It's just a miracle. No, the, the way, the mode, the agents through which God delivered His Word is through people. And what we see in here is it says, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke. Men spoke. Men spoke. In other words, as you read the Bible, you can see differences in the authors because each one of them was different. They had a different background. Each author had, had different education, different experiences, different styles, personalities. All those things come out in the Bible. We have human agents, but we also have a heavenly author a heavenly author, because it says that men who were moved by the Holy Spirit, men who were moved by the Holy Spirit, a, a divine origin that God breathed, it was the Holy Spirit that led these men to write these things. When they sat down with, you know what, I need to grab a, a pen, I need to grab a scroll, and I need to write a letter to the church at Corinth because I'm concerned about something. It was the Holy Spirit that placed that desire on Paul's heart. And as Paul began to write, it was the Holy Spirit that was governing what Paul wrote. It was Paul writing, and it was the Holy Spirit directing Paul in the direction he needed to go, governing to make sure Paul wasn't going to write anything false. Kept Paul moving in the right direction. As it was Paul writing, it was God through the Holy Spirit inspiring that process. It was a heavenly author, divine origin. Men moved by the Holy Spirit, they spoke from God. They were speaking God's words. They were writing God's words. And so in other words, what they wrote, because it was breathed out from the Holy Spirit and it was governed by God, what they were writing was God's word. It was authoritative and it was true and trustworthy. What they wrote was God speaking. When the Bible speaks, God speaks according to what Peter says. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so if you believe the Bible contains errors, then that reveals something about your theology regarding God. Because if they were moved by the Holy Spirit and they were speaking from God, and something they wrote was not true, then either God is lying and God is not true, or God is incapable and doesn't have enough power to oversee the process to make sure it came out true. Sometimes you hear people say, well, human beings wrote the Bible. Human beings are not perfect. They make mistakes. Therefore, the Bible must contain mistakes. As if everything that is written or spoken by a human being must be false. My full name is Michael Todd Rader. I was born July 27, 1974. True. Just because I'm a human being doesn't mean everything I say or write is false. Therefore, also, if it was governed by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, they're speaking from God, either God is not true and trustworthy, or God doesn't have the, the ability to govern Scripture. The Bible reflects God's character, God's ability. If God wanted something said and something written... 
Who's to say God didn't have the authority to supersede that? If He spoke and the universe came into existence, why would we not think God is capable of speaking truth through human agents? It's what we have in the Scripture. A heavenly author, human beings spoke on behalf of God, spoke God's Word as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says what God says, and the Bible means what God means. These things are of vital importance. As we said, your eternal destination hangs upon whether or not this word is true or not, whether it's trustworthy or not. You're saying, well, whoever calls the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how do you know that? Well, the Bible says so. Is the Bible true? Is the Bible trustworthy? You see, if you don't have an inerrant, infallible Bible, what ground do you have to stand on when it comes to the Christian faith? It becomes subjective opinions, ideas, instead of objective truth. Men moved by the Holy Spirit of God spoke from God. That's the Bible's testimony of itself. Either you believe that testimony or you doubt it. If you doubt it, then how can you believe anything in the Bible? All Scripture is God-breathed. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. It was interesting that Bubby shared a while ago the opportunity possibly of becoming a firefighter. Um, I had a friend one time who was a, vi- a volunteer firefighter, and he was applying for a job uh, at, a, uh, at a county fire department. And so the fire department called me as a reference. He used me as a reference and was asking you know, questions about him. And, and I, of course, was, was you know, validating him and his character and uh, they asked the question, you know, what, why do you believe he would be a capable firefighter? And I thought about that for a second, and the best thing I could come up with was this. If my life was ever in danger, I would completely trust Brandon. And I thought about that, I'm like, you know, what more could you say? If your life was in danger, you could completely trust this person. To me, that was all anybody needed to know. If you think about your salvation, you think about your eternal destiny, folks, your soul is in danger. And the question is, do you entrust yourself to Scripture? If you do, it's everything you need to know to be saved. Everything you need to know to have peace with God, everything you need to know to have forgiveness of sin, everything you need to know to have eternal life is found in the pages of the written Word. Do you entrust yourself to Scripture? If you do so, you'll find it is faithful to bear God's witness. You see, because Scripture is a testimony of the truth. Testimony, something that someone has seen, or heard or experienced. And as men were moved by the Holy Spirit, if God is true, then what they have written must also be true. Let us pray. Father, we thank you once again for the privileges of being here today. What a blessing it has been to be in your house. Lord, we have been moved 
by your presence. We have been moved through the encouragement and the ministry of the saints. And Father, we have encountered you today through the objective truth of the Bible. God, you have spoken to us. And through the, the pen of the Apostle Peter, you have shown us that Scripture is not only authoritative, but it's authentic. Because it was moved by the Spirit. These men spoke from you. And Lord, if we believe you and, and we trust in your character, and if we believe you've got enough power, then why would we not believe the Bible? It is true. It is trustworthy. It is a testimony of the truth. Father, this morning I pray every individual, every man, woman, boy, and girl, everyone within the sound of my voice, I pray we have entrusted ourselves to the truths of Scripture because the written Word points us to the living Word, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Your Word tells us, God, that You love us. Your Word tells us Jesus died for our sins. Your Word tells us He rose again. Your Word tells us He's coming back in power and glory. Your Word tells us there is a judgment day. Your Word tells us there is a heaven and there is a hell. Your Word tells us these things. Father, if we doubt Your Word, we doubt You. So God, we thank You that You have spoken. You have given us a sure and a certain word so that we might live we might speak we might have hope because we believe God that you are true let God be true and every man a liar your word is forever settled in heaven almighty God as we come to this hymn of decision I pray if there is someone here today that needs to make a decision, a public declaration. God, I pray that they would do that today. Maybe somebody here knows they are not saved. Knows if, if, if Christ returned right now or if they were to die today, they would not go to heaven. They would go to hell. I pray if there's anyone here that knows that, God, I pray they would walk this aisle today. Throw themselves on your mercy, God, and find that you are forgiving. Maybe somebody here is uncertain about these things. Maybe, maybe somebody here, God, you have brought to this church, this fellowship, and this is where, Lord, you want them to be so that they might worship and so that they might serve and they might be served, God. If this is someone's church home, I pray, God, they would make that decision today. Or if a person has accepted Christ but has never followed Him in believer's baptism as that first step of obedience and blessing, God, I pray you would drive them to make that decision today. Maybe someone here, God, called to the mission field, called to the ministry, to the pulpit, to preach your truth. Lord, I pray that's the decision that would be made today. Lord, this is, this is your time. You are here. You are speaking. It is up to us to open our ears to hear and open our hearts to respond. Because, God, I believe you have the power to open those ears and open those hearts. Lord, we are ready for what you have for us. This hymn of decision, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing this song? Jesus, keep me near the cross. It is the cross.